Canucks Central Thursday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. We are a presentation of your local Grip Auto Entire location-friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Coming up, David Amber is going to join us, uh, get in on some of the uh, Stanley Cup playoff series ongoing. New York Rangers pulling the upset last night in game one. Sat and I both like that, and uh, Sat gives props. Well, Sat, you were riding the Philip Heedle props pretty Ooh. high last night. Yeah, and he came through big. Should have multiple. I mean, I wish there was like two goals for the Heedle prop. I wouldn't have taken uh, it, but you know. He had eight goals all season. He's up to seven now here uh, here in the postseason. Unbelievable. But you know, that, that's what always happens in the playoffs, right? For teams that make a long run, oftentimes there is a guy that finds something and gets hot. And, you know, if you identify the right guy, it can be a lot of fun like we saw last night. Something unexpected happens, right, uh, for a team to go on a Cinderella run, whether it's uh, Fernando Pisani or uh, Mika Kiprasov with the Flames just going absolutely haywire. I mean, we knew he was good, but to do it for as long as he did through that playoff run was uh, was pretty impressive as well. Um, so uh, I'm at the airport last night. I, I, uh, I'm flying out to Toronto. I did a little bit of an AMA. And producer Josh Elliott Wolf, like, where did you get this picture I, I couldn't believe it, Sat. Like, just getting blindsided by the half-face picture. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrific. That was later posted on, on Twitter. Um, and uh, also our, our OJ and Espresso video mm-hmm. is up there as well. You can see some pretty cringeworthy faces on that front. But um, I got to the airport way too early last night. Like, I'm usually, like, get to the airport early guy because I don't Mm -hmm. like being rushed and feeling like, uh, oh, my God, I I really need to get through this. And uh, the security line is so long. And uh, I just I I don't like being rushed. So once the uh, hockey game kind of got out of hand, I made my way over to the airport no, thinking that, hey, like security is taking longer than usual right now. I got through security in 15 minutes. <laughs> so I ended up spending, what, two hours at the airport just hanging out, yeah, answering questions was, on Twitter? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's just another, you, another night at home, I guess, right? What kind of traveler are you? Are you like get to the airport early guy like I am? No. I mean, I, I have Nexus for a reason, so I can cut it as close um, as humanly possible. I, I don't like spending any more time waiting than I have to in any, for anything in life. I'm very impatient in that sense. So, like, I don't like wasting my time in a place where I'm idle, you know? So, I, I don't like to cut it too close, but if if I'm doing a domestic flight, I try to be at the airport about an hour and 15 minutes before the flight. Yeah. Sat's, Sat's all about time efficiency. Oh, That's, all about uh, it. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't like spending time anywhere I don't have to for any, any longer than I have to. <laughs> yeah, I hear I hear that. Uh, all right, so uh, we got a couple of things going on today. We'll have uh, we'll have the guests later on in the show, but uh, the big guest of the day on Sports at 650, uh, Henrik Sedin, talking about his new player development role with the Vancouver Canucks and really specializing into that area of the team. We've we've talked so much about this sat, especially with the moves that the Canucks announced earlier this week how important this area of the organization is. And, you know, the one thing Henrik had talked about, what you heard from Michael Samuelson, what we talked about with Patrick Alvin after they made these these announcements, is how they 
hope to do a better job of progressing the prospects that do come into the organization. Here's Henrik Sedin on helping prospects get to their max potential. Uh, we'll get that clip up in one second. Just one, uh, just an issue to get it up here, uh, but we'll get to that okay. in one second. But you're right about it all just comes down to um, whether this team can get their prospects to the highest level humanly possible. That's, that, that's what it comes down to. At the end of the day, when we look at what these guys have talked about and what Alvin has said, how do you just ensure that whatever player you get, you get the best version of that player? That's that's what you want, right? And and it seems so easy, uh, but you have to. It's one thing to get the talent; it's another thing to procure the talent out of that player. Yes, <laughs> right. It, 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 there are there's just such a multi stage thing. It's like, well, if it was if it was about more than talent, then you know, um, why do first-round picks hit more than, than players later on in the draft? Well, like, yeah, of course. Like, to a certain level, it is about the talent of mm-hmm. the player. But, you know, how does the culture of your organization factor in on that? How many, like, you know, you think about it from a football perspective. And, Sat, you know, uh, the Cleveland Browns have, have let <laughs> a lot of quarterbacks go to waste. Uh, maybe some of them not as talented as you would have hoped. But, you know, there is an element of putting a player in a position to succeed once you get them into your organization. And it's very obvious some organizations do it better than others. Obviously, and you've looked through the history, and all the, I think a lot of it also comes down to patience. And what you have as an organization that allows you to have the patience with a player to get the best out of them. And I think a lot of that also comes down very basically from from a very basic point of what is your standing as a GM? What is your standing as a member of the player department? And what type of plan do you have? And if you know you have firm standing, you're going to be somewhere for a few years and you know you have a plan, everybody believes in it, then you feel like you can be patient with certain players. If that pressure is different, if there is not that alignment, that's when things usually go awry. So, as previously mentioned, the uh, Henrik Sedin clip on helping players reach their max potential. Here is uh, Henrik Sedin from earlier on The People's Show. Yeah, that's something we really enjoyed this year as well. We, we spent uh, at least once once a week out there for practices, and then we, we, we watched pretty much all their games. So, uh, that's been that's been really fun, and that's going to be a big part of, of next year as well to spend time out there and, and work uh, working with the, with the prospects uh, in Abbotsford and, and uh, helping them reach their potential. I think that's uh, that's our, our our goal is to get all the players to become as, as good as they can as they can be. So there is uh, Henrik Sedin speaking on the experience of working a ton with the with the Abbotsford Canucks, and this is it's really been the sore spot of the organization. Sat um, that. And, uh, you know, there hasn't been a ton of AHL players to graduate to the NHL. And it's sort of forced the team to go and overspend on free agents for the bottom half of the lineup, where ideally you'd like to be growing those players within your organization. And, hey, look, it's great. It's a new setup. We don't have a track record to see how it's going to work. The Sedins, we have a lot of trust in the Sedins, given what we've seen from them through their careers. But uh, this is one of the biggest areas of the organization, if not the biggest area of the organization, that needs improving. Well, in in a massive way. And 
when I look at this and I look at you know where the Canucks find themselves and what has happened in the past and lessons you can learn from the past, a lot of it really comes down from rushing players. And when we're looking here and talking about maximizing the value and maximizing the potential of these players, I think back to very critical moments. And to me, it comes down to critical selections as well. So if you're making a trade, let's say the Ryan Kessler one, and you get back a first round pick, and that pick ends up being Jared McCann, and the Canucks in a year felt like he had to play because he was one of the better players at camp. They needed young guys to come in, and there wasn't enough competition. And there's a lot of media pressure, a lot of people saying he should be on the team. Next thing you know, he goes and plays. He's not ready for it, has a tough year, has maturity issues, sours the team so much, they trade him. And yeah. now you look at the career he's had, he's a good player. Now, maybe not the difference maker some would suggest he is, but he's still a very good hockey player. And when I look at the trade the Canucks are going to have to make this offseason, whatever trade that ends up being, whether that is, say, J.T. Miller or Bull Horvath or, who, or whomever else who's a significant player they may end up trading, how is it going to work out differently with that pick and that prospect potentially you bring back with this regime? Yeah, because it's going to be a multifaceted uh, type of package, right? You, you may get a pick, you may get a young roster player and a prospect. That's kind of how these deals generally shake out. And, you know, maybe you don't get the young roster player if you settle for a better prospect, but um, th- these are how these deals generally shake out. And we talked about this a lot around the deadline. And, you know, one one thing I wanted to go through, because actually producer Josh Elliott-Wolf, who also writes over at Canucks Army, mm. uh, had a recent piece up about what some of the packages could look like from the teams that are rumored to be interested in JT Miller and the ones that have been rumored to be uh, interested in one JT Miller. So we're talking about the New Jersey Devils, who uh, we mentioned with Irfan Gaffar yesterday, the New York Rangers, who have been most closely linked to JT Miller in recent years, uh, over the last six months, I should say. LA Kings. The pa- the pa- the, there were so many trade rumors the past year. It feels like yeah. multiple years, Dan. <laughs> It's been years of <laughs> JT Miller trades here in Vancouver. So um, I want to bring Josh in on the conversation. Um, Josh, your piece of the Canucks Army. What are some of these deals that we're looking at here that that you think uh, could be on the table for uh, for JT Miller? Yeah, so to start, these were all kind of based off. Uh, David Quadrelli had an article where he spoke to a league executive about. Uh, it's 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 Quadrelli. Yeah, okay. sorry, my bad, my bad, Quadrelli. <laughs> oh my spoke god, to, uh, just, just, still, still bad. Never yeah, mind. I, I won't leave him alone. Dan. I won't do it. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> he spoke to a league exec about the potential package, and that league exec said the value is probably a defensive prospect a young roster player, and a first and second round pick. So some of these might be more realistic than others, but there were eight teams that I kind of came up with. So to start, it was the New York Rangers. Uh, The prospect I chose, Braden Schneider. Uh, The roster player, which may be a little more unrealistic now, Philip Heedle. (laughs) (laughs) The red hot Heedle. Yeah, and then the picks were the 2022 first rounder and the 2023 second rounder because they had to trade this year's second rounder for Andrew Kopp. Hmm. 
Yeah, so um, they, they don't have a first this year anymore uh, because it got upgraded once they made it to the Eastern Conference Final. So it would have to be next year's first, which might not be a bad thing, um, as, as we've talked about with next year's draft class. But this was kind of the sticking point during the year, Sat. Braden Schneider might be um, not necessarily untouchable, but kind of untouchable for the New York Rangers. Well, that's kind of the issue here because that package that we just heard from Josh, it's a good one. It's a first, it's a second, it's a 2022 first round pick. So in 2023 first round picks, you're talking about uh, next year, which could be a stronger draft as well, getting that extra second, getting Braden Schneider. And even if, you, and even if you're not the biggest Phil Filippito fan, you're okay with the fact you're getting two picks and you're getting Braden Schneider. So I think that package is really good. I just don't yeah. know if New York makes that offer. So uh, we should grade these packages okay. on uh, like good, good like um, works for Vancouver, not going to work. Uh, other team won't do it. It's a four out of five uh, for Vancouver. It's like a three out of five for New York. Do you think the Rangers getting to the Eastern Conference final um, reduces their interest in JT Miller potentially, or will it have a different effect and maybe they'll go into the summer being like, we are just a piece away. JT Miller is that guy. Maybe it just enforces their idea that JT is the guy they need to be a finishing piece for their roster. I think it kind of validates what they've been doing, honestly, like in their mind. And I don't know if it's the proper course of action, but I think in their mind, they're saying, Hey, we have a young team. We have a lot of prospects and we just made it to the, at least the conference final. Maybe we just are a little more patient. We wait for the prospects to develop. And then we don't have to add somebody like JT Miller because the pieces are already yeah. there. And it would take a lot to get JT Miller. And I don't know if their window is that small if they keep their prospects. And it's fair, but at the same time, if you come this close, may not feel yep. like you're JT Miller away from winning it next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it depends on how you lose, right? Like, if you, you know, I mean, well, if you win the cup, then well, it doesn't matter. But if you, depends on how you kind of lose. Maybe, maybe you look back and you're kind of like, we are one impact player away. Well, this is an ownership group in New York that also, you know, got rid of the last front office because they were almost too patient. So you wonder how that factors in for Chris Drury, though, yeah. you know, it uh, didn't seem like. When the the Canucks and, and and Rangers were having these discussions, they were not moving on the on the whole Braden Schneider thing earlier this year. So I wonder if that were to change come the postseason. Uh, who's up next, Josh? Where 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 are you going next? Uh, up next, the Carolina Hurricanes. So mm. the prospect Scott Morrow, right-handed defenseman, nineteen years old, uh, roster player, had kind of a rough playoffs and season in general. Martin Nietzsche's. Okay. Center, 23 years old. And the picks, 2023 first rounder and a 2022 second. All right. I, I think that uh, people are down on Nietzsche's, but if you're getting him and a pick, it's interesting. Yeah. It's not bad. He's a center, right-handed center. Has potential, only 23 years old, has showed a lot of promise. I, uh, I, I mean, this guy has a tremendous amount of talent. Uh, <laughs> Nietzsche's... Um, He's he's kind of got everything you want in in a in a center, right? He's got some size, he's got the speed, he's got the offensive flair in his game. These are all the boxes that you want to tick 
for some reason, it hasn't hit at the ceiling that sometimes you think could be there for the player. But is this one of those opportunities where just before that player hits the thick of their prime, you you get in on a on a deal when you're kind of almost buying low, where it looked like over the last, you know, if you were to think about this from last season's perspective, Netchass would have been nowhere near trade rumors, but now he's an RFA. We know how Carolina feels about paying their RFAs a certain amount of money. They did not even entertain the whole Nadelkovich contract, which, you know, the guy was a Calder Trophy finalist last summer going into the offseason. They were just like, no, nope, well, we're going to let this guy walk. Uh, and, he go, and he goes off to, uh, to Detroit and hasn't really found the same success. But point is, uh, they, they just, they, they generally have a number in mind of what they want to pay players and they won't go above it. So I, I wonder how that factors into Netchass as a potential trade piece this offseason for the Carolina Hurricanes. The one other point I would make on the Hurricanes, are they really interested in rentals? Yeah, they don't seem like that kind of team. That's what I was going to say about your the point you were making about Nietzsche is they probably don't want to pay JT Miller going into his 30s, especially with how yeah. hesitant they seem to be about signing anybody in their 30s, realistically. Well, absolutely. Anybody outside of Yasberry Kokinemi, they're okay with signing. They're, they're, yeah. they're not open to signing that player. No, I, but it's, it's about how much money you got to pay him, and JT's comes with a big ticket. I mean, they made mm-hmm. a, a, they thought a bargain long-term investment in Kokinemi, and we'll see how it turns out, but it doesn't, it doesn't look good. I mean, I think it doesn't work for also just the overall value. I think they may feel like that's too much to give up, the first, the second, and to the point of the money you got to pay as well. And if you're Vancouver, what if Nick Cash is whatever he is, which is just kind of a 14, 15 goal guy, maybe 20 goals in a year, 40 point guy, nothing really too crazy down in the middle. Then all of a sudden on your return for JT Miller, you have a maybe second line center and just kind of a bunch of fodder. Is that good enough for you as far as far as ultimate upside? Yeah. I think there's some other deals that might be out there that would intrigue me more. But um, it's enticing, man, because I mean, Nechas, I'm, I, I, I mean, there is a lot of talent in his game. There really yeah. is. It's like a, it's a better version of of Philippedal almost, uh, Martin Netchass. Like there's there's uh, some red flags there, but you can see that there's there's some talent in the player that just hasn't been actualized, and that kind of touches on the point we had with uh, with Henrik. Like the the team's got to do a better job of of getting players to reach that potential. All right, what uh, what team we going to next, Josh? Uh, so the L.A. Kings. The prospect is Brock Faber, right-handed defenseman, 19 years old. Uh, roster player Rasmus Kupari, center, 22 years old, and then a 2022 first-round pick and 2023 second-rounder. Hmm. Interesting. So I, I, the the LA Kings are a fascinating team to to look at here. This is a deal, though. Like you're not getting any of LA's premium prospects here. So I'm not sure, like if I'm Vancouver, I'm pushing to get maybe the better right shot defenseman. I mean, LA's got a plethora of them. They've got Faber, they've got Brant Clark, but is it not similar to... Yeah, Helga Grons too. Yeah. Is it not similar to the Rangers where it's like, yeah, you could have Nils Lungfist, but Braden Schneider, that's where we draw the line. 
If you're Vancouver, would you not want maybe the uh, higher-end prospect than Brock Faber? I think it's fair. The question comes down to how you view Brock Faber as a prospect. I know there are people that really, really like him. And because he plays the right side and because you know there's lots of maturity to his game, they feel he can be the perfect type of player to step in. I mean, Helge Granz is super enticing to me because he's got a big frame. He does have a bit of everything to his game, and there's a lot of upside in him. So that's the guy I would prefer, but it depends. I mean, I've, I've spoken to people that really like Brock Faber. So um, it kind of comes down to how you view them as prospects. Uh, all right. So that's the LA Kings version of this. Um, do we have a New Jersey Devils one, Josh? We do. So, yeah, the Devils would be – so this one – to me, maybe a little more unrealistic, but I'll throw it out there anyway. So the prospect, Alexander Holtz. So not a defensive prospect, Ooh. but a forward prospect. Uh, Sat's so, interested. Sat's yeah. in. Uh, roster player, I put Jesper Bokfist, uh, center, 23 years old, and then draft picks 2023 first and 2022 second. Which, to me, like I, I do think is a pretty high price coming from New Jersey, but I also just really like Holtz. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably too rich a price for New Jersey to pay, but I I really like that trade. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so this is this is uh the, the win for Vancouver, right? Uh that's that's what this trade would be. Um probably the best trade we've heard from a uh, it would be a trade that really entices you to move Miller. The thing about, you know, if you are getting Holtz in the deal, how much more do you get? in the trade because to, to, to Sat's point, like, do you get the extra, um, do you get the extra pieces in this deal considering you're getting a recent top 10 draft choice. That's, that would be my question. And I wonder like, is, is New Jersey open to moving Holtz simply because they're probably getting Slikovsky at second overall. And if they want a more, ready-made, like, this guy's going to help our team now, uh, is that what maybe entices them a little bit more to move a player of that caliber? So I I don't think this is too out of the question. I don't think Holtz is going to be a uh, untouchable for the New Jersey Devils if they are really pushing to make their team better for this upcoming season. I do think it might be a little more realistic if they took one of the picks out of that. I just kind of threw both in to match what that uh, – outline right. of all the offers was going to be but I, I will say there was another prospect i mentioned who does play defense uh riley walsh plays on the right mm. side he's 23 years old though so i would almost put him more in the roster player category but that mm-hmm. being said that's probably more realistic but to your point it does kind of depend on if they value the second overall pick higher than holtz because like, like sat you know like holtz is just there's so much upside in his game, yeah. and I could see him being a top six forward next year. So I, I'd much rather go for the highest quality piece as opposed to the best like overall volume package. Like volume doesn't entice me, especially later first round picks. I mean, second. I mean, these are good assets. Don't get me wrong, but if I'm trading JT, I want to make sure I get one player I feel like has a lead upside because that's the Qual- best way you're going to be able to replace him down the road. Quality over uh, quantity. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes like the big package looks nice. Like, Hey, we got all these nice things. It's like a loot bag, you know, like <laughs> you go to a party as a kid and you get a loot bag with like a bunch of like candy and it's like, Oh, look, I got all this stuff. Or, you know, sometimes at Christmas there's like a big box and you're like, Ooh, look at this big box. This is going to be an amazing present. And it's like something you didn't really want. So no. 
sometimes, you know, like uh, quantity isn't uh, the same as quality. So if you can get one of the premium assets, I think that does make a ton of sense. I like that trade the most so far from the Canucks perspective. Let's get uh, let's get a couple more in here, Josh. Uh, yeah, so real quick, uh, the Maple Leafs, so the prospect, Matthew Nies, 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 left wing, 19 years old, the roster player, Timothy Lilligren, Ooh, okay. right defenseman, 23 years old, and the picks, 2022 first, and uh, the Leafs don't have a lot of second round picks, so I had to go 2023 <laughs> third. I think the trade of four second round picks this year or something like that? Yeah. Something yeah. insane. Um, yeah, so I don't think Toronto makes that offer, but... I think Vancouver would love that offer. Nice, I think for sure, somebody they would like. And I think Vancouver, I think there are people in the organization that, that would think highly of Timothy Lilligren as well. We talked about that in the past. That would be a, a type of package that if you're trading JT, I think it, it would make this front office think. I'm not sure Toronto makes that offer though. Yeah, they've, they've talked about not wanting to move Nice. Um, and, and, you know, is this a deal that's that's worth JT anyhow? Like I feel like Nyes, while a very enticing prospect, seems to be getting a little bit of the uh, Toronto hype to me as well, um, because he's he's the one prospect the Leafs are are refusing to move away from. He looks really intriguing, but I, I'd still maybe want to shoot a little bit higher in Lilligren. Like, hey, he plays for the Canucks as early as next year and probably plays a pretty big role, whether it's next to Oliver ekman Larson or or even Quinn Hughes. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it, to me, I, I just don't see this working for either team uh, right now. So, Josh, what's the last one you got for us? Last one I will throw at you, and, and probably the one that I don't really think works for either side. Well, ma- well, maybe the Canucks, but not the team that would be taking Miller <laughs> right. would be the Colorado Avalanche. And this is on the, the assumption that they don't win the cup because I think if they win the cup, they are in no rush to add somebody like Miller. Uh, mm-hmm. But no picks, only prospect slash roster player would be Bowen Byram and Alex Newhook. Ooh, Byram Ooh. and Alex. I mean, if, if you can get Byram and Alex Newhook, I mean, you're running. And, you know, you now we're getting yeah. into the silly season <laughs> at, at end of this. Yeah, I mean, this is a, this, yeah. I think Newhook, um, while he hasn't played a ton in these playoffs, you can see the talent. I think he needs to fill out a little bit more. Um, still so young, but the speed element. The problem for Colorado is their their roster is getting so expensive. I think they view Byram and Newhook as super premium assets and guys that are still cheap relative to the rest of their roster that they won't be able to lose. So that's that's why I think this is uh, just too rich for Colorado's blood. It probably is, but uh, I mean, if you can get Bo and Byram and Alex Newhook, those would be that would be like the dream package, Josh. If you can get one of them, maybe like. I mean, if you get Byram, I don't know if I do that. I, I like Alex Newhook. I don't know if I want him to be the central piece in the trade. And, and the reason, like, I would do Byram straight up if there wasn't the injury concerns. Yes. And so yeah. Colorado kind of has to add an insurance yes. policy with that. I agree. He's uh, he's looked good in these playoffs, though, Bowen Byram. Uh, we've got uh, Edmonton and Colorado. Game two of that series coming up tonight here on Sportsnet. 650. We'll dive into uh, some of these series with David Amber coming up 
as uh, he'll give his take on, uh, well, maybe the McCarr goal from last game and uh, whether or not the Rangers can keep the upset going or was it just an off night for the Tampa Bay Lightning? We'll talk to David Amber next on Canuck Central. Canuck Central is presented by your local Grip Auto and Tire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. David Amber is going to join us here in just uh, a few moments. to get a couple of texts coming in from our live listeners set, listening in on our uh, little hypotheticals around JT Miller. Uh, one saying that... Classic Canucks overvaluing your own players. How often do 99-point players in the league get traded, Sat? Um, I mean, not that often. And when they do, I mean, <laughs> and what we mentioned here was the trade proposals and then how likely a team is to make it or not make it. And that's what the discussion is. And, hey, man, listen, uh, the Canucks want a lot if they're trading J.T. Miller, as they should. The question is, will the team meet the price they give? And that's what we're going to find out. All I know is that we talked about the offers that had been made, or at least the ones that we had some inkling of. And those ones, as much as they were okay, not stuff that would entice you to move. So where does how does that change when we head into the offseason? Well, that's kind of what happened during the season, right? Um the Canucks were getting some offers and at some point they just said, you know what? There's some offers here that are okay, but we're just going to stick with JT for this year and maybe revisit this come, come the off season. We're not getting quite enough to really make us go down this road and trade away our best player in a season where we are starting to push back towards the playoffs. And that's, that's ultimately where their decision came down. Now the difference here is, you know, there's a year left on his deal. They don't want to lose him for free. They may not be able to come to an agreement on a contract extension that works for both team and player. So there's there's more of a pressure point to to make that move in, in the nearer term if, you know, those negotiations go as uh, kind of we've been talking about, Sat. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things, and we have David Amber on the line, and we'll get him on here in a second, um, that we're sitting here watching the postseason and the Edmonton Oilers, you know, they growing up going up against the Avs. And even though the draft is over a month away, we're sitting here talking about potential trades for JT. <laughs> That's how it goes uh, on Vancouver Sports Radio. Uh, all right, let's bring in our next guest. He is uh, David Amber of Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, what's happening? Uh, what's happening, David? How you doing? Sat Dan, I, I I heard your show and I thought, oh my god, have I teleported back to like March of this year? Because <laughs> it's the same conversation. Like, what what should we do about JT Miller? Uh, it's funny that that debate will go on. I'm sure it'll go on until you get a definitive word from someone that he's not going, he is going, or whatever. But uh, but yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, everything's good. What can I say? I'm I'm sitting in my hotel room in New York right now. I uh, was down at the skates today or the skate today for the lightning uh, as they get set to, to try and turn things around and have a better performance in game two. And um, I can tell you, New York's feeling a bit of a buzz here, though. They're feeling pretty good about um, their team and the situation they're in, especially after that game one performance. I was going to say the Rangers feel like a bit of a underrated hockey town. Uh, it's kind of been dormant for the last couple of years, but they're, after watching last night, they certainly seem to be into it. 
Yeah, it's funny. We actually had one little piece in our in our show last night um, where we did a little a little reminder to the fans that in, it was February of 2018 when then President John Davidson and then GM Jeff Gordon sent out a letter to the fans essentially pleading for patience and explaining the directive that they're essentially rebuilding and there's going to be pain and, you know, please bear with us through these difficult years. <laughs> and what do you know, four years later, they're, they're in the conference final and, you know, have a lot of good young talent. They've obviously had some NHL draft lottery luck and they've done a pretty good job. Chris Drury deserves a lot of credit after replacing Jeff Gordon by, you know, identifying some needs. And at the trade deadline, Vitrano and Mott and Cop and Cop has been sensational and, and Braun. And, um, you know, he's added some great elements. And, and it's a team that their belief level right now is, is through the roof. Well, it really is. And one of the really interesting things about that team, too, is just the amount of pressure there's also been from the owner, James Dolan. Like, what do you think is going through James Dolan's mind right now, especially what happened at the end of that game where, where you know, Reeves is laughing, they're winning the game, they're being tough, they're pushing them around. Like, how how full of glee do you think James Dolan is right now watching his Rangers team? Yeah, well, I'm sure like any owner, I mean, Listen, those seats, uh, you know, we're located at, at we're, we're located sort of in the Rangers end zone. So sort of behind Shesterkin, a little bit on the side, there's a little vomitorium there. And that's where our during the game spot is. It's a great sort of um, eye line for the game. But what I'm watching is a bunch of people, you know, draped in Gucci clothes and, you know, in, in, you know, clothes and jewelry that are more expensive than my house, basically going up and down, drinking $40 drinks up and down to their seats. And I'm thinking, James Dolan's loving this. I mean, from a financial business perspective, this is, you know, it's probably an incredibly expensive ticket right now. And, you know, it's been a disappointment with his Knicks for some time. And as you said, it's been a dormant hockey town for some time. So to feel a bit of energy back in that building, remember how long ago was it? Five, six years ago, they did a what? $1.6 billion reno or something ridiculous like that. So I think he's finally getting a bit of return on, on his investment into the team. And um, I'm sure he's incredibly excited. I mean, they're the toast of the town right now. It's a pretty good time to be a New York sports fan though. The Yankees are in first in their division. The Mets, I believe are first in their division. And the Rangers, you know, things are looking up for them. Again, a team that a few years ago, you know, dreaded uh, our word, right? We're going to rebuild, right? So um, it's pretty good time. And Shesterkin, it's funny because I was in studio for the first round versus Pittsburgh guys. And, and I've never really seen Shesterkin this season rattled, but he was clearly rattled in games three and four in Pittsburgh. He got pulled in both games. He was, there was a lot of tip you know, pucks. There's a lot of puck luck going against him, but he also was just, he seemed nervous. He seemed out of position. He seemed uh, lacking confidence and certainly wasn't making the saves. And, you know, he kind of turned it around at the end of that series. And then he found himself against Carolina. He was the Shesterkin we we know and seen all year who's going to win the Vesna. And uh, last night he looked cool, calm and collected after the first few minutes, you know, Kelly Rudy pointed out that he was a little maybe nervous right at the hop, off the hop, but, um, you know, they gave him a lot of runs to play with, too, a six-goal six cushion there. Um, but he, he looks like a guy a bit on a mission. So they've got all those ingredients, right? Good young talent, a stud goalie, and, and some veteran forward group that uh, is balanced in scoring. So you got to like what they're, they're showing right now. I don't want to take anything away from the Rangers, but when I say the next thing that I'm about to say, it, it kind of does that. And that's 
it did feel like the rest really caught up with Tampa Bay last night. Like they, they had opportunities, but they just didn't look, it didn't look sharp. You know, I, I thought Kucherov had a number of opportunities that he just normally would finish and didn't last night. And some of that is just Irkin, of course, but his shot looked a little bit off. It was just, just felt like a, the, the rest kind of got to Tampa a little bit last night. I think that's fair. And to their credit, they refused to use that as an excuse. Uh, they had media availability today, Nick Paul, Zach Bogosian, John Cooper, and to a man, they all came out and just said, look, we had a bad game. Give them credit. They took it to us. We're making the adjustments. I mean, John Cooper, I really love listening to him. I think he's just a very, I don't know, I think he's a, a very bright guy. I also think he's very thoughtful in his responses. He takes a very measured approach. And, you know, he made a point of saying, you know, we as a group, you know, we're good at self-correcting. We take losses personally and we make the adjustments because we were asking him, you know, the last 17 times you've been in this position, including three times versus the Leafs, where you lost the game, you came back and won the next game. They have not had a losing streak in 60 games now in the playoffs. I mean, that's insane if you think about that, right? 17 straight wins following a loss. How are you able to do that? So they weren't going to say, well, you know, they were ready. and We were too over-rested. But I think you're 100% right. They looked off. You know, John Cooper made the point of saying, hey, it was a 1-1 game, you know, halfway through the second. Yeah, it's a, you know, not exactly. It was it was 1-1, you know, till midway, you know, maybe maybe 15 minutes left in the second, and then the Rangers potted in a few goals. But, um, yeah, but it still felt like the Rangers were taking it to them. And they just didn't look – they didn't look right. And you're right, their star players didn't look right. Elliot Friedman picked out, you know, Steven Stamkos was getting late to the bench in both periods, and we're not sure exactly what that is about. But, you know, they're missing Braden Point. Hagel's banged up. I'm sure they have a number of guys who are, you know, not perfect at this point of the season. And, and if you're not fully mentally or physically able to engage against a team that's stealing its mojo, especially on home ice – you know, we see what happens, and, and they got their butts kicked, but we expect a very different situation tomorrow night. No, we certainly do, but as far as much as I want to see Tampa get to the Cup Final and even three-peat, I think it'd be great to watch. As far as what's best for the National Hockey League, is it not the Rangers being in the Cup Final, especially with the revenue they're generating right now and the amount of people watching their games, especially in the U.S.? Well, I talked to our, our counterparts over at ESPN, the national rights holders, or one of the two national rights holders in the States, and they have the final this year. They're going to go back and forth with TNT, but it's their year, ESPN's. And yeah, they, uh, you know, the colleagues I talked to uh, said, oh my God, if the Rangers get there, that's huge for us. That's really big. That's really great. And they were talking about how great the ratings were for Game 7, New York and Carolina. Probably no dis, you know, no different or dissimilar to how we feel at Sportsnet. I mean, we're impartial we want to watch the games and you may the best team win but it doesn't hurt us if the Edmonton Oilers get to the Stanley Cup final I mean any Canadian team uh is helpful for us so I'm sure they feel the exact same way and from a league-wide perspective having the biggest market in the league the biggest city in North America uh, a champion is a really good thing and you don't have to think too far back remember the last time the Rangers won the cup 1994 remember Mm. what happened right after that yes the league went the league went away and it was the worst timing ever. They had all the momentum in the world, and then they had a labor stoppage, and they lost a lot of that momentum. And the Rangers, kind of, it was a one-and-done deal. And, you know, right now, if you did get a Ranger run to the Stanley Cup final and maybe even a Ranger championship, there would be some momentum there because they have a a good group of of young studs and a a good mix of characters. They have a coach who's 
you know, very media friendly and, and Gerard Galante can sell the game a bit. So I think there'd be a lot of advantages, but, but I think it's a no lose situation right now. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like if you have Tampa there and they're going for essentially a dynasty, you have Colorado there with McKinnon and McCarr and these incredible young players who are superstars in the game, or you get Connor McDavid and Edmonton there. I honestly think there's win, 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 whatever the, the matchup of these four teams ends up uh, being in the final. I think for, for true hockey fans, you're going to watch because it'll be great theater. And for casual hockey fans, there's at least a reason to watch the final, regardless of what the matchup is, because there's all these different storylines attached to it. Well, and these playoffs have really just lived up to the hype, right? I mean, the Battle of Alberta was was great, even though it wasn't as long as, as we all kind of thought it, it might be. And now, uh, you know, game one of uh, McKinnon versus McDavid really lived up to the hype. They, they had their plays. They had their goals. And there was some controversy like, hey, man, David, I'm, I'm a soccer guy. So, you know, I know you know I love a good bit of controversy or a bad offside call every now and again. That's just how it goes. And uh, it's... You know, it was perfect. Maybe we're not going to get 14 goals every time, but, you know, I do think, you know, having the star power that you do have in that series is a huge selling point for the league. Honestly, I've said this so many times that sports is the best reality TV. It's unscripted. You don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, you just don't. And it's exciting. And, yeah, I think it's given us sort of, a level of excitement because you just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, the first battle of Alberta game had 15 goals, right? It was a nine, six game. It was crazier than that, than that eight, six game really. Um, I, I think with the talent you have, and, and it, the one thing I'll say about it is the purists probably were pulling their hair out there because <laughs> there wasn't that, you know, there wasn't that physicality. There wasn't that intensity, you know, you know, I, I'm working this series with Louis DeBrusque, who only knew how to play hockey one way, and that was with the intensity going, you know, through the roof, right? Like, he had to get into the trenches, and he had to try and muck it up and just grind it out. And he saw these, you know, he saw these guys, and guys were getting free passes. Everyone was just thinking offense, offense, offense on both sides of the ice. So it, it felt weird, just like the first game of the Battle of Alberta was a strange game. But, you know, strictly from a fan perspective and, you know, even from my standpoint, I know we're broadcasters, but it was just fun because I was like, this is awesome. You know, I was watching it at a bar with no sound. So I, that was the one thing I was missing. Every time I looked up, I mean, at one point I went to the bathroom. I was gone for one minute. I come back and two goals have been scored. I go, what the hell is happening? You know? Like, it was not. So it's so much fun. And I, I, I listen, I don't know if we're going to get 14 goals tonight, but if we do, I'll be the first one sharing. I'll be like, this is great. So it's pretty cool, guys. But the playoffs have lived up to the hype. You know, I I still am excited for the day when, you know, we can have, you know, six, you know, seven Canadian teams. And then I might, might be just dreaming. But I'd like to think there's so much good young talent in, in really all of the Canadian markets that they certainly uh, have a viable chance. It would be really nice to, to get a cut back here. And Edmonton's still there kind of waving the, the Canadian uh, banner. And, I, you know, it's funny. I don't think that narrative's playing out in Calgary. And it's right. probably not playing out. In, in Vancouver, for that matter, or Toronto, but there will be some faction of fans that it would think it's pretty cool that a, a Stanley Cup champion team could be uh, back in Canada because it's just been a long time. Yeah, no doubt. But uh, what I also thought was interesting too, and, it, and it's kind of funny to say he had three points, but I didn't even think McDavid was all was all that good the other night, and, and I would expect McDavid to be a lot better tonight. Yeah, he, he wasn't. He wasn't. You know, he set a pretty damn high bar. Yeah, when he saw what he did game six and seven versus LA, and then what he did for the entire. Uh, the entire Calgary series, his worst game in that Calgary series, or his saying the worst game seems wrong when you're attaching him to his quiet <laughs> game in that 
in that battle of Alberta was where he scores the overtime series clinching goal. <laughs> like, yeah, he didn't do much. He just scored the clinching goal, but he was quiet in that game. He was, he was quiet for him in game one. And, you know, listen, that's what makes this matchup compelling. Like Colorado's not afraid to skate with Edmonton. They might be the one team that is pretty, feels pretty comfortable to skate up and down the ice with Edmonton stars and feel like, okay, you know, we can hold on to the puck and we can, come at you in waves and we can grind you out down low and, and we have all the, the personnel to do that. Um, I do expect a better game from Connor McDavid tonight and I don't know what to expect as far as the, will it be a more defensive game. I'm not sure necessarily all the personnel's there. You know, the Oilers are a good defensive team, but they give up a lot and if Mike Smith's not great or their goaltending's not great, you know, like we saw that against Calgary, not just in the game where they gave up nine goals, but in, in some of the other games, like Mike Smith had to play really well. There were some great eight chances. Mm-hmm. So Edmonton gives up a lot. You know, it's not a surprise that Colorado is going to get a lot of odd man rushes and a lot of, of high danger chances. So it's going to be incumbent on Mike Smith to have a bounce back game. And he's, it's funny, he's not Vasilevsky, but if you look at his game two numbers, and all of his game ones have been disastrous in the last like five years, all of his game ones has, has been really bad, and all of his game twos, he's been almost unbeatable. So we'll see if that trend continues tonight. And, you know, for the sake of the Oilers, they might have to have it continue uh, to really have a legitimate chance. I, I think they'd be hard pressed to be asked to beat Colorado four times in the, the next five games. So it's not like it's a must win, but. You know, it's asking a lot to go back to Edmonton down to nothing against, you know, arguably the best team in the league. Hey, David, uh, appreciate the time as always. Enjoy, uh, enjoy the Big Apple. Yeah, we're, we're, it's funny. We're going to a place called the Canuck. I don't know if you heard of it. It's a New York Ooh. bar, and but it's it's you can hear by the based on the name. It's I opened about a year ago. I assume it's Canadians that own the place. It's called the Canuck, and it's kind of Canadian theme. There's like moose heads on the wall, and you can order poutine. <laughs> And they, the reason we're going there and going with you know a lot of our colleagues here at, at Sportsnet is because they will play the game and they'll play it with the sound. So and I think they even have the Hockey Night in Canada stream. So uh, it'll be really fun to sort of be in that environment and sort of see, even though we're in the U.S., that we kind of get a Canadian flavor for what's a pretty big game tonight between Edmonton and Colorado. So I'm I'm excited for that. This is the most Canadian bar I've ever seen. Uh, it, it looks great. <laughs> Are you looking it, it up? It, yeah, of course. There's a moose on the wall. This is amazing. <laughs> It's hilarious. Huh? So I mean, yeah. who knows? I uh, we, we were like, where can we go? Where can we go? And then uh, I don't know. We came up with this idea, and there's a few other colleagues here from from ESPN, and they want to come along. And so I think it's going to be. Um, I think it'll be a lot of fun. And you know, listen, we're hopeful for 14 goals. We might go. Who knows? Yeah. But regardless, it'll be. It's a big game, and no shortage of superstars. So I'm, I'm excited to have some poutine and a and a moosehead beer or whatever, and, and watch the game. Awesome. Uh, uh, thanks for this, Dave. Yeah, be well, guys. We'll talk soon. Uh, there is uh, David Amber, Hockey Night in Canada, joining us uh, live from the Canuck in uh, New York City. Yeah, man. The only th- they better have some like Canuck colors and like Canuck jerseys <laughs> hanging around. <laughs> I don't see any Canuck jerseys. It's just like, uh, yeah, there's it's it's got a fully Canadian logo, so it is definitely a Canadian-themed bar in New York City. So for our listeners who uh, may be traveling out to the Big Apple, uh, might want to put it on the bucket list, but uh, place the, to watch hockey tonight for uh, for David Amber and his colleagues. It's um, you know that game bet on hockey like never before with Play Now Sports, your local BC sports book, the Oilers and Avalanche. And I saw some of the numbers of McDavid going up against the McCarr and Taves pairing sat, 
And hey, McCarr and Taves had better of Connor McDavid in that opening game. The scoring chances were lopsided in favor of the Colorado players. And I think this is one of the, the really big matchups because McDavid, we know can eat against some of the other guys lower in the lineup for Colorado. How do they get McDavid away from those two? I think is going to be uh, part of the storyline here. Yeah, it's going to have to be a lot more on the fly, you know, like because you're not going to have last change. You can't really dictate it off the draw. So can Woodcroft get a bit creative here with getting some, getting those guys some shifts and some matchups on the fly? And that might be your best advantage at even strength. But I would expect McDavid, McDavid to be a lot better tonight. And it's funny, he had three points and some of them came on the power play the other night, but it wasn't quite the same type of performance. I don't care who goes up against him. If he plays his game, he can still get his advantage. And I, and I think tonight might be one of those, those nights that he still does something against Kadri when he's out there. Well, yeah. It, the, the thing about it, though, is, you know, McDavid, um, you know, they will be vulnerable in transition when McDavid is on the ice at times as well. As much as, you know, it, uh, the opposing team is uh, vulnerable against McDavid whenever he's on the ice. You know, I think McCarr and Taves have the... Uh, have the ability to really push the puck going the other way and uh, catch the Oilers that way. Oilers are 245 on the money line tonight, 157 for the favorite Colorado Avalanche. Uh, tonight, I will not be touching uh, the over, Sat. I'm, oh, I'm just going to... You can leave the total um, goals. That's good. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it. I'm just going to leave it alone. Although... If you take anything, uh, take the over on goals, just in general total- in the series. Total goals, you got to go to uh, over seven and a half to get a little bit of juice on the over. So uh, the books are expecting a big number tonight for the uh, Edmonton Oilers and Colorado Avalanche. You're on a heater with uh, Philip Heedle yesterday. I shouldn't have said that uh, back to back. Um, but uh, do you have an anytime goal prop for this game tonight? Uh, yes, I, I actually do have one uh, for everybody here tonight. Ryan Nugent Hopkins to get a goal for the Edmonton Oilers. Four Ooh. to one on the odds. The Nuge paying four bucks. Uh, so check it out. Playnow.com. Bet on hockey like never before with your local BC sportsbook. Playnow.com. Coming up, we'll get into the draft a little bit more. You're going to be hearing a lot of this as we get closer and closer to July 7th. Lauren Kelly uh, of uh, EliteProspects.net will be joining us uh, as we get into the first round of the draft, what she sees the Canucks doing, and more. That's next on Canucks Central.